Welcome to episode 5 of the New Culture Podcast. I'm your host David, and with me I have Richard. Hey! Crystal. Hello! And Luke. Greetings, cultural lights. If you're new to our little project, New Culture Podcast is a fortnightly Australian podcast that focuses on nerd culture related film, book, and comic reviews with a healthy dose of opinion thrown in for good measure. Not only do we have podcasts, but we also have our website, www.nerdculturepodcast.com. What was that again? www.nerdculturepodcast.com Which features additional content not found in the podcast itself. We have a bit of a deviation with this uh, episode. Uh, we normally we would have a popcorn junkie, which is our film review, and then we would actually have another different type of segment. But two films came out recently that are nerd culture related that we felt that we should cover and we wanted to see anyway. Uh, so we're actually going to have two popcorn junkies for this episode. Starting off with Greenland. Now, Greenland actually doesn't come out in Australia until uh, next week, or the in, during this week, uh, but it's actually been out overseas for quite some time now, like just over two months. It must be naughty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just a baffling decision. It? It's, just, it's, it's, like, it's like the good old yeah. days of cinema when, uh, before the internet, mm. before the interwebs <laughs> occurred, where you know America would get it theirs first and then Australia would get it who knows when. But uh, it's a strange decision in this day and age. So... Uh, and a poor decision in my opinion because it came out and the reviews were not very good and uh, who, it's, it's going to be a bit of a bomb when it gets yeah. here in my opinion yeah. Yeah, they, they, they it's killed. well and truly been and gone overseas and yeah, it hasn't made a, mm. really and hasn't even made its production money back I know, <laughs> it's when, very strange and when you, when you do that I mean effectively what you're doing is you're killing the overseas yeah. and you're market in, anyway so instead of getting all this positive encouragement you get a whole bunch of really negative stuff yeah. And you're encouraging illegal downloads. That's right. I mean, this is day and age of the internet and torrents and all that sort of rubbish. It's You're encouraging people to cheat and not pay money. It's just it's bizarre. To, to but, be uh, fair, it balances out. I mean, we got Thor two weeks earlier than everybody else. Yeah, so. two weeks versus two months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> I mean, yes, we did get Thor earlier. When, the, uh, yeah. the better of the two. Of them, so say. clearly Marvel Studios loves Australia, whilst uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers, no. Yeah, I don't know. And even in the marketing here was very poor as well for mm. Greenland. I mean, it's... It was all over the place. And, two uh, different release dates, even. I know. It's not two different release dates. Um, but uh, that being said, luckily for us, the uh, NCP crew got to see an advanced screening of Green Latin, or advanced in terms of Australia's release. Um, so we can actually give you our, our review before it comes out in Australia and the other Australian sites get hold of it. Green Latin is directed by Martin Campbell, who brought us uh, Gold Nine, Casino Royale, the two best Bond films, in my opinion. Uh, also, Mask of Zorro and Edge of Darkness, which is not that fresh. It's starring Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively, Peter Sarsgaard, and Mark Strong. No, I did pronounce it right, Sars- Sarsgaard. It is yes. Sarsgaard. Nobody interrupted me, so I assume it was all right. Yes. There wasn't I... another Rutger Hauer, Rutger Hewer. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. No, 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 you've, you've redeemed yourself uh, for this podcast. Sorry, Rutger. I still haven't seen Hobo yet, but it looks awesome. And it's, of course, based on the DC character. So, what do we think? Okay. <laughs> what was that? Blah. Blah. And Crystal gets us sta- gets us started <laughs> off with this um, deeply insightful review. <laughs> I, I'll tell you all. I, I fell asleep. Sorry. <laughs> okay, but why? Lucky the stars weren't there. James. Why did I fall asleep? Because mm. a, a, I have to admit, I was tired watching it. But b, it was very formulaic, very predictable, and and it held no interest for me whatsoever. Well, there you go. Doesn't that, that doesn't, didn't it muscly Chris Hemsworth in the role? 
<laughs> yeah. no? When you say formulaic, what do you mean? Like, it followed the typical superhero story. Hmm. Um, although at the start of your he is a bit of a hero, but he's also a bit of a dropkick. He sort of comes into his own and becomes this great superhero and protects the mm. world sort of thing. It's very, very typical. Mm. And there was no depth in it, no, nothing of particular interest. Well, I agree with the no depth. Mm. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that is the story of Hal Jordan, that he is a bit of a dickhead and then eventually becomes a hero. And yeah, I mean, you still have the same typical story. I mean, you can't get around that if you're basing it on something that's already gone before it. That's, you, but you can make the story more interesting and you can have some depth and quality to your storytelling. I think the biggest problem is is that um, whilst he starts off as a very shallow and uh, arrogant character, mm-hmm. he kind of remains kind of a shallow yeah, and arrogant right. character. I mean, yes, he becomes more heroic, but with no real yeah, greater, then... greater added depth to his, to his or personality. No, or nobility. He doesn't become... Well, they try to give him nobility, but... It's still arrogant and cocky nobility, which means you're not really advancing the character Maybe that's too far through the story. In the sequels. <laughs> um, I think they set up Hal very well in that they, you know, with the um, waking up lady beside him, yeah. just sort of dismissing her as he rushes off to, you know, go and... Oh, I agree. His introduction was and perfectly fine, but the, it doesn't and, go anywhere. And seeing, you know, him as a pilot, I thought they nailed. That's exactly what Hal would do. Yeah, the plane sequence is pretty cool. He would, and, but they just didn't really carry any of that forward you know, his, his sort of ingenuity the you know the sense of he will find he, he will win at all costs because he hates to lose and yeah um don't call I, the chicken yeah I don't think challenge. it helps I don't think it helps too that the actual uh training sequences and learning to use the ring and everything happens so quickly mm. that he goes from absolute novice to absolute expert basically very, very fast. 15 so minutes! Yeah, it's, so not, it's, not really even a mo- it's not even a rocky montage that's, you know, covers mm. weeks and weeks. It's, it's seriously three different people talk to him and then all of a sudden he's a and there's, and there's, the whole And thing. there's a fight with, there's a fight slash training sequence with two other Green Lantern members and then that's sort of it for Hal and the Green Lantern Corps. That's it. Yeah. That and seems that's, to be typical for the, the current crop of superhero movies. But the, the thing about Green Lantern... No, 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 really. I mean, Spidey takes... It takes. I mean, it's it's not specifically static, but it's you know it's a good couple of weeks. Mm. I mean, Thor doesn't need any because he's already a warrior. Mm. I, I think mean, Bat- I, Iron Man he does his initial stuff, and then it's months later before he does anything yeah. else. Mm. Batman well, takes years to develop. The last, yeah. let's Batman say, begins. the last two that I've seen, and mm. even but even <laughs> Captain America, even with its, which we'll discuss later on, obviously. But yeah, it's it it has it doesn't have any any sort of specific battles, but at least it has a montage of clearly different battles. Mm. And he's also had army training. Whereas yeah, but there is Ryan, a specific Ryan had point 10, which I mentioned later. Of getting his butt kicked, <laughs> and then away he goes. And that was another thing about um, about the film and the use of not the core because I thought they actually did the core in and of itself quite well. They look awesome. The core was very well mm. visualized, and the characters who were in the comics I saw on the screen. Sinestro, Mark Strong was fabulous. Yeah. Um, Jeffrey Rush did a great job voicing Tom Ray, and Michael Clark Duncan did a great voice voicing um, Kilowog. Mm. Um, the thing that they really missed is the relationship between Hal and the core, particularly Hal and Sinestro. There's been a bit of a thing in the comics, certainly recently on a Jeff Johns run, that Hal and Sinestro, there's a mental relationship and also a friendship early on in Hal's career. Yeah. And that before Sinestro, and then when Sinestro becomes the villain of the series... Um, there's a sort of a bit of an added, there's an extra dimension to their relationship. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, it's, it was a real shame that they mm. changed. 
I mean, as, as awesome as Sinestro was mm. in the film, like Mark mm. Strong did an excellent job. Mm. Um, but it's it's a real shame that they lost all the the friendship, mentoring sort of mm. stage that they had. And then when Hal, I mean, in the comic universe, where Hal finds out just what Sinestro is doing and how mm. he manages to keep the peace, mm. and then it's sort of you know the, the, he's fallen from grace and all that sort of stuff. He's basically skip right, right over all of that mm. and just go straight to the. And end I thought it, I thought it lost. That as a, as a result, you know, it lost that extra depth that mm. needed to make it a bit more interesting. But that that being said, though, if they, they did, did have that in there, it actually would have made Sinestro even more of a front row character than he was. Mm. I mean, mm. as it stands, Sinestro is basically the main character of the film anyway. Mm. Well, is there so any reason why that can't be so? I mean, just because it's called Green Lantern doesn't mean he has to be the main character. But Hal is the great main the main character. But, but you could have actually. But then you could <laughs> have done no all war. the stuff that Sinestro discovers. Because Sinestro yeah. discovers everything exactly. about what's going on, that would have made more sense for Hal to have then found out that well, way Hal, as well. You, if you yeah, stopped in a relationship, yeah. Hal would have found that out. Might have found a lot of that out by himself as well. Bring yeah, it together. If you have Sinestro saying, "Look, there's a there's an entity out there. It's Parallax," mm. and then Hal comes to Oa, and then Hal is told just mm. who Parallax is, and and you know the the secret history of it all and all that sort mm. of stuff. That would have made a bit more sense to mm. me. Whereas I mean, they, they Sinestro finds it all out. The, the reason Hell is the main character is because they establish him as our point of view character. Mm. Yeah. We're meant to basically follow him as he mm. progresses from cocky pilot through to, you know, member of the Green Lantern Corps. Mm. The problem is, as you say, is that all this information that is being imparted is not mm. being imparted to him. Mm. It's being imparted to Sinestro, yet somehow Hell just knows about it. Yeah, that's like right. somehow yeah. Hell just knows what Sinestro knows. There's no real it's bizarre. It story get told. progression. Mm. And then I just on. assumed that was a Green Lantern thing, they all sort of know that. That's a fair call. It could have been the ring talent and all that sort of stuff. But it's not com- established in the film that that's the case. In, and so. in the comics, they go, if all four lands know something, you could get you know a little panel or something where the rings talk to them and yeah. you know. And there, there is a sequence in the film where the ring actually tells them, like Tom Ray introduces himself and mm. Hal said recites the stats of Tom Ray's sector. Mm. It's like, yep, yeah, that's cool, but there's nothing in the film that says mm. that no. Hal knows who Parallax. I actually think it would have been a better film if Sinestro was the main character. Mm. Yeah, for well, <laughs> well, I think part of that comes down to um, casting. I mean, Mark Strong's excellent. He has such a great presence as Sinestro, and it is just a shame that he is kind of underutilized. Do you think he's again? I've got to point now? this out. In a lot of the films that Mark Strong has been in, where he has been the bad guy, yeah. mm. he's been often been the best thing. Yeah, and yeah, yet he's, he's barely in... registered on the screen. Like uh, Sherlock Holmes, he was yeah, a great. great he's a great Sherlock Holmes villain. Not Moriarty, of course, but he's, <laughs> a, he's a great. Uh, he's a great. I don't, I don't think he overshadows he Danny Jr. Doesn't, as well. It doesn't no. overshadow, but yeah. in that he's a good actor. Yeah, he plays a great. Each other, I think. Play, is able to play a great screen villain yeah. in that he's I mean, this, menacing this is and topic. scary. Sherlock Holmes' problem wasn't the acting. No, no, was Yeah. But but again, same thing happens in uh, Robin Hood. In Robin Hood, yeah, yeah, exactly Mark Strong right. just just takes a the great taste into town. Mm. Yeah, but one, once again, they're not giving him a great deal to work with, and it's yeah. the same with Sinestro. But he makes the most out mm. of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, Ryan Reynolds doesn't. Yes. Um, so I, let's, let's talk about Ryan Reynolds and how you brought, how you brought him up. He's a very handsome man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. And Hal needs to be. He looks like Green Lantern. I will give you that. He looks like Hal Jordan. He plays. You think he's thin? Well, in the costume, he's very thin. Yeah, that's he's, what he's, like, he's got. That's, that's the CGI. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, we'll, we'll, the, we'll get to the costume in a second. I totally, well, got, I totally agree with you. He's, he's got the he's got the cocky, arrogant part of it down pretty well. Yeah. Mm. Um, but the, the, the sort of noble hero that's supposedly emerging in the film 
I just don't think he pulls it off at all. Do you think but he's he also just too cute. He just he looks like he should be in a romantic comedy. Not, yeah, not I'm with you. Totally. Yeah. He likes he even though Deadpool. Yeah. He's the perfect Deadpool. As cocky as Hal is, Hal's charming. Yeah, yeah. He's got the other charm. That's true. Ryan Reynolds isn't charm. Who, who isn't isn't that place? charming? Yeah. I would have cast Nathan Fillion. Yeah, he's a Nathan Fillion. Old though, isn't he? He might have been a bit old, but um, if you watch Nathan, Serenity, if you're listening, you're not too old for me, mate. Um, I'm just saying for the role, Nathan, you're fine. Um, <laughs> if you watch Serenity, even, and even the recent DC DVD animated film they did, which was Greenland and Emerald Knights, Nathan yeah. Fillion voices Hal, and he does a great job. He does a great job. So, he, obviously, I mean, he was he was miscast, and that's, mm. you know, what can you do? But mm. even with a, some, you know, better story and better directing, he would have picked it up, I think. I mean, it's, it wasn't that bad. It was, it was, it was, it was, like, he's not was awful. His acting was fine. Yeah. He I wasn't think. awful, I just don't think he was suited for the role. I think he's. I think he's a bit light. He, he was able to, to capture certain aspects of the character, but for me, he was unable to capture the most important aspect of mm. the character, which is the heroism and the mm. nobility, and you know, the 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 actual, you know, I'm the greatest Green Lantern. Mm. You know, only I can stop Parallax. I mean, that's the heroic ideal that I don't think he was able to get across. Which is yeah. interesting because how long has the Green Lantern Corps been in existence, and the newest guy stops the <clears throat> biggest threat? Yeah, well, no, they, the they have been thing. around for millions of years. Yeah, so. as it explains at the start, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty, they're around for quite a long time. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point, though. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> the, agent, the agent old villain, and when Hal asks them for help, you know, because the agent old villain is actually attacking his arm, yeah. um, they go, no, nah, you deal with it. <laughs> actually, that's a very interesting <laughs> scene where, he actually, where he's asking for help. He actually, mm. he actually states, the, the exact line is, is, let me protect my planet. Mm. And it's like, there's permission to protect your planet. Mm. It's your job to protect your planet. I thought he said, "Help me protect my planet." First, he says, "Help me," and then he says, "Let me do it," mm. which is just very odd. I, uh, for some reason, that just. But then again, I was sleeping through some of it. Yeah, you probably <laughs> fell asleep. But, <laughs> but it's just—I don't know. It's just, it was just weird. It's like you don't need permission; just go do it. But that's where um, I think a bit of a better scripting and mm. a better performance by um, Ryan Ryan Reynolds would have actually pulled that off well because. You know, the, the whole point of, of the character is that, yes, he is the greatest Green Lantern because he has something that the others don't have. That's he right. Yeah. Certain qualities that make him what he is. Yeah, the unpredictable With, nature. Yeah. Maybe the they were going for the underdog wins kind of thing. Yeah, but then when the underdog wins, where the entire core has been kind of wiped it's out. Really it just unbelievable. Yeah, you need to show why he is able to do what he does. What is it that makes him so special? And unfortunately, I don't think they do a very good job of capturing that. So, just briefly on the other actors, uh, Blake Lively? Um, again, I thought miscast. And funnily enough, when she was announced as Carol Ferris, um, she was in the town with another actress called Rebecca Hall, which is Ben Affleck's, you know, one of Ben Affleck's films. Mm. Um, and I kept sitting there thinking, Rebecca Hall must be Blake Lively, because Rebecca Hall actually looks like Carol Ferris, is a far better actress yeah. um, than Blake Lively was. She suffers almost the same problem that Ryan Reynolds that has not Ryan Reynolds has that Hal has, which is that she set up very well at the start in the training se- in the in the um the simulation sequence or the flight sequence at the start, um, which sets her up to be, you know, strong, um, independent, um, you know, and you, you meant to understand why Hal would fall in love with Carol Ferris. And then, from then on, she just becomes um, the standard love interest there, just re- merely the to boost... The damsel in distress. The damsel in distress, merely there to boost um, the hero's ego. Instead of, you know, 
the sort of the quasi Lois Lane Catwoman character yeah. that she actually once, is to Green Lantern. The thing you have to understand about women here, Luke, is that once <laughs> once we're involved with a superhero, we turn into that kind of person. We're just a swimming must be, love must, that needs to be rescued on occasion. It must be. In, it must be only <laughs> in filming because in comic book in well, comic books there's a there's a sense that you know they become you know the super villainess for the main character. Well, since, oh, I've become, really, really, you could say that. since I've become involved with a superhero of my own. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? I could tell you from experience. What's going well, on here? Look, look, we're we're often kidnapping Crystal just so that Waldo can actually come and rescue her. Oh, so I'm the superhero. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Aww. Isn't that you as Spider-Man <laughs> on that picture in the corner there? And he's being Spider-Man in that picture over there. That's yeah, put that on the website oh, so everyone can see. Peter Sarsgaard, excellent. Good yeah. job. Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't think Hector Hammond was the right choice for villain. Yeah, probably not. Um, still, I, think, I think he could have been a good choice once again had they actually produced a better script and mm. given him something yeah. a bit more but mm. he certainly makes the most of what he's got. I mean, yeah. he is a genuinely creepy creepy and, so yeah. creepy. Yeah, and so he really he, he plays it up beautifully. Yeah. Um, it's just once again there would have been you know, a better story to actually carry his performance through I think would have mm. been fantastic. Angel Bassett could have been good as Waller. Um, but I said, I think, why have you got Waller in there? Yeah. <laughs> in that Waller, for the for you know non comic book um, fans, is in the DC universe, is the woman you love to hate. But maybe she maybe um, and she's it, she's like clever a Marvel and, thing. Well, you know, with the Marvel, how you know, the Avengers universe it's all tied together with Agent Coulson. Mm. She could be the but, Agent Coulson of the DC movies, or Agent Coulson yeah. or Nick Fury. But when they show up, you sort of you get an idea of who they are. Yeah. And what they can do, whereas Waller just shows up as a scientist, it parts some exposition. It's, 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 you it's, you it's, could have had someone else. I wanted if you're going to have Waller, give me Waller, give yeah, me the yeah. wall. Yeah, okay. Totally. And it's, it's, there's an interesting bit where he like he touches her and he sees her memories, like of her past, and he, I assume hmm. it's her husband or her father. Yeah, or that's so that's the backstory yeah, she's got from the comics. In, in, in like, the comics, her entire was, family. What was the point of that? Killed. I mean, you know, it's not touched on again. I must have missed that bit. There's, it doesn't. It's mm. it's of no relevance to anything. Mm. Yeah. So what was the point of doing it? That, that, it's, either, it. it's either set up for, um, which they're trying to they're trying to set up the series here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's either set up for what Waller might be doing later on in the series, or it's fan service. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've got uh, the Flash film hmm. currently in scripting stage, so maybe she'll make it into there, and as you say, become like an Agent Coulson type character. Hmm. But the, I just wish they made her more interesting and given her more to work with, given that she is an absolutely amazing character in the mm. comics with such sort of depth awesome. and personality that mm. it's just a shame they couldn't capture that in the film. Okay, so much has been made about the special effects. Um, so touching back to the suit, as you mentioned before, Crystal, yep, the suit is uh, fully CGI and uh, a poor decision in my, my opinion. Yep. It just I think it looked okay. Weird. It was just the proportions were wrong. Mm. Yeah, these tiny, tiny little waist. And mm. yeah. The, des- the design for the costume was good. Yeah. Um, I think if and I've got no problem with them wanting to enhance the costume yeah. using CGI but they needed a real world costume enhancement would have been awesome if they, no. just, if they had a real world costume and then had the glowing symbol that appears mm. a couple of inches above his chest yeah. like in the current run mm. that would have been awesome mm. but just a full CGI is just yeah that that odd. didn't make Very sense odd. Well, it's interesting that they actually went back to the special effects before the film was released. They yeah. apparently pumped another $9 million exactly. into uh, making it look right, and they still couldn't quite pull it off in the end, I suppose. The, the worst for me was actually the... Not the mask itself, but the way his eyes changed. Hmm. What was the point of that? I mean, it doesn't happen in the comics, so why... None of the other Latin's eyes change. 
I mean, except for Parallax, mm. obviously, when his eyes changed. But, uh, but I mean, Hector Hammond, of course. But it's just there's, I think there's that's creepy the, white. The pink, point of that black it's, thing. It's, it's just all part of the whole transformation thing into a superhero. But it doesn't make him look like a superhero. It makes him look like a supervillain. Yeah, but mm. I just I, I I agree. But I think that's what the point was. That was yeah. just weird. Very very strange. Mm. But, um, certainly, as far as the rest of the special effects go, I think um, the realization of Oa yeah. looks amazing. Um, awesome. And the actual core members themselves, yeah. so Kilowog, um, Tomar Ray, etc., look the middle guy. Who's the middle guy? Stell. He was awesome. Mm. The things that the, the little bug. The thing that the ring could do was cool too. Mm. I think make made things out, physical things out of just green stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, out of yeah, the, con- yep. the construct is very good, and you got to give um, credit to um, Lord of the Rings. Production designer Grant Major and um, Nigella Dixon, but they did quite yeah. a, an amazing job. Yeah, I actually think all the all the space stuff was actually excellent. Mm. Uh, it's, it's all, looked, it's all the Earth stuff that was, and, <laughs> and it's all the Earth stuff that was boring. But mm. uh, it's, but it's just not in terms of his alien science. It just just looked just it was very well realized. And mm. It looked exactly how I thought how it would look. Mm. So and the ring right. construct all looked exactly right. In my mm. opinion, it was, looked mad. Okay, so any uh, any favorite moments? Just real <laughs> um, I, the stuff that I really put. Really enjoyed was as you said all the stuff on Oa with the oil, all the other Green Lanterns. Yeah. Um. But you know that's partly my love of that universe and the character. But I think they visualized it well, and I wanted to see more. It was kind of like that movie that we saw recently that didn't stand the test of time. Last Starfighter. <laughs> yes, that's the one. In that he gets taken to a place in space where he becomes part of the fighting sort of core of people. Just the ordinary guy who becomes the hero and yeah, yeah, it's very much the stock standard. It's very much the stock standard story. Yeah, the awesome cherry bomb maneuver. Oh, that yeah. was awesome. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah, didn't yeah, take stuff long. But my uh, favorite moment actually brain. was uh, not even an action moment. I actually thought it was really cool when after he shows his friend, his nerd friend, all the stuff, and he's like, "Well, why aren't you meant to get the girl?" So he goes to visit um, Black uh, Carol, who we just saved, and uh, he's like, "You know, hello, Miss," and puts on this stupid voice and. And she almost instantly knows exactly who he is. Mm. I thought that was awesomely done. That was good, actually, because I've always had that problem with Superman. It's just a pair yeah. of glasses. <laughs> 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 her, yes. line, her line is also, they kind of recognise you. It's hilarious. So um, I thought that was pretty cool. There's one really nice, subtle moment in the film that I appreciated, um, more so because of my understanding of the characters. But um, Sinestro makes this speech to the core, mm. and it's this big, noble speech about how wonderful the core is and how they're going to survive they can defeat parallax so on and so forth speech itself is good mark strong delivers it very nicely but after the speech when they're all cheering and and everything there's this look that sinestro gets like he's just just bathing in the glory of them practically worshiping him he actually puts his arms out yeah he puts the arms out he's got this great look on his face and it's a nice subtle moment that speaks to the character of sinestro um and for me that was really Possibly the highlight, just because yeah. it was just so beautifully done. His arrogance is just over, off the scale. Yeah. It's like we've never been beaten. <laughs> <laughs> but well, guess what? He just did. But did just the fact that he's just reveling yeah. so much yeah, in no, them worshiping yeah. him is just so beautifully. Ratings, Crystal. One Luke. Luke. Two and a half Lukes. Richard. Yeah, two and a half for me as well. I'm going to go with two. 
Two it might. I might have given it maybe half a point more if I'd managed to stay awake. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fair to say that if a film puts you to sleep, and therefore it doesn't deserve it's not doing its, its job. <laughs> yes, that's it for Green Lantern. Hope you enjoyed that. Comes out the 11th of August, so check yeah. it out. Tell us your opinion. If you've already seen it, if you're lucky enough to see it as well, then uh, please give us your opinion on the website, www.nerdculturepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up next, uh, our second popcorn junkie, Captain America, the first Avenger. Okay, the NCP crew have just come back from seeing Captain America, the first Avenger, the final film before the next blockbuster, or sure to be blockbuster, The Avengers. So as usual, we'll go around the table and discuss our opinions. Guys, what do you think? Starting with Luke. Um, okay, I enjoyed certain aspects of the um, the production itself. I thought, you know, for the type of film trying to be a comic book, sort of Raiders of the Lost Ark style adventure film, I thought they captured the, you know, the, the 40s sensibility with sort of the more comic book sensibility, like, you know... It wasn't tr- attempting to be uh, an accurate, like a period drama. A, a, an accurate detail by detail down yeah. to the last, you know, piece piece of fibre, um, accurate rendition of the nineteen forties. A stylized, stylized representation, a, rep- a stylized representation of of the period. Well, they had the Baker light dials and light sort of stuff. Mm. As well. Yeah. Um, so good. I thought, um, in terms of trying to capture, you know, more of a stylized comic book version of. Um, the era, I thought they did it quite well. Occasionally, I thought the special effects um, didn't quite match. Like in terms of the action scenes, particularly later on, I thought the special effects didn't quite weren't fully rendered. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no. I, I, um, in I that certain th- certain aspects of um, you know the firefights, the, the laser fire, and just matching you know actors, compositing the actors. There's clearly some screen the, work. At some yeah, point. some some screen work, but not very not very well digitally um, yeah. painted out. Well, or, he's chasing after the Valkyrie. Yeah. 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 Um, and I thought that and that's, um, that's that's even more obvious in the the effects where the original Steve Rogers is you mm. know, the young skinny the skinny short mm. Steve Rogers and then later on he's of course he's the Captain America and all sorts of stuff but I mean, uh, generally I thought the skinny Steve Rogers stuff was quite well done mm. except for some certain points so, where there was clearly screens mm. where it was clearly not matched up yeah. Peggy's yeah. eye eye line in the car was a bit mm. off. That sort of stuff, but generally quite well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a I couple of shots, a couple of shots as well, where his head just looks disproportionately a bit wobbly. Mm. Yeah, just like a bubble quite, head doesn't mm. quite match up. Yeah, like a bubble head, mm. but generally quite well done. Yeah, generally, there. I thought that was one of the more stronger aspects of the special effects. That um, the strongest special effect was, as you said, slim Steve Rogers, because mm. there were some shots where it actually he actually did look quite real. So. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I was quite um, impressed. Especially the fight in the alley. The fight in the alley yeah, was very good. Cool. Like, wow! It was really they narrowed down his face as well. Mm. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. So you got like his cheekbones and stuff. Yeah. The only yeah. type. And, and, and then except and, for and a couple of bobbleheads. Kind of looked a bit yeah. weird, weird. And at the camp. And at the camp. Yeah. Well, yeah, but there yeah, because they actually got the light right and it, yeah. it matched it. The only problem I had with it was, was um, but I was able to get over it. You know, within a minute, matter of seconds, was the voice. The, the voice didn't quite match me he was a little yeah, too deep I for agree. someone of yeah. that size he's um yeah. you know skinny guy his voice should be just a little bit yeah, they higher they took it down a bit mm. yeah i agree yeah, um, but yeah that's that's sort of getting the little bitty um just going back slightly to your uh, visualization of the mm. 40s and stuff i liked the uh the, the design on the the futuristic sort of stuff mm. like the weaponry and stuff like that but still looked kind of 
Like it could possibly have existed sort of stuff. Yeah, was, they, it was quite yeah. well done, like the tanks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, they, they were, that's... from the bottom half, they were your standard sort of issued tanks, but then the top they had the, you know, the laser cannons. And, and that's sort of a nice going back to sort of Kirby and the yeah. original Origins, but also to, you know, Amazing Stories, the covers of Amazing Stories and, you know, Virgil Finlay and guys yeah. like them. Yeah, so. the, yeah the, the design sensibilities even of the future stuff mm. yeah. was actually designed based on the design sensibilities of the future as mm. depicted in the 1940s. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, That right. was fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah like the bases and stuff. plastic stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They've, they've really, exactly. they've clearly, they've, the production team's clearly... Designers have mm. clearly paid attention, clearly done their research, yeah. both in the realistic, as you say, the, the actual 1940 stuff, mm. yeah. but also in yeah in adapting the technology and things to make it look like mm. the cover of Amazing Stories. Yeah, or, and talking about doing their research, Joe Johnson obviously researched uh, good old Armand Zola, the the introduction of Armand Zola's character looking um, through that lens. I, I must admit that was a great shot, but I was also hoping at some point that Arnim Zola would actually end up as a giant head on a screen in that cool body. That, he that would have been in. awesome. Like I added that, I actually was hoping this, it, it would be like Skull's last line of defense, like, yeah. you know, like Captain A is going after mm. him, and then you know Arnim Zola shows up in the armor, you know, the head's done. Like oh, come on, but no, yeah, I, I would have marked out over that. I must. Admit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I thought that I, I, whilst the visuals were quite strong. Um, for me, I actually thought the film was a bit of a letdown. Really? Um, I thought that the story was all over the place um, in terms of the structure, in terms of the structure, in terms of what was actually going on. It wasn't actually clear what the story was about. What the Red Skull wants to conquer the world. Okay, there's nothing particularly original about that, but there's no real thing into into how he's doing that. I like the use of Hydra. Yeah. I thought Hydra were pretty cool, but the story itself, I just thought was. Boring and boring and for, boring and some most for the most part, but um, unclear. Yeah, I'm you know, like, saying I'm not too worried. I wasn't too worried about the fact that he wanted to take over the world because that's kind of a 1940 deal. Well, that wouldn't bother me. Mm. But you're totally on my money with how he's going to do it. Mm. I mean, it's like, well, he's got the Valkyrie, mm. which is going to go around the world yeah. and bomb major cities. Mm. Then why were the bombs manned? Mm. Like, why were the bombs able to be flown? Yeah, mm. good, point of that? There was a good Slim Pickens moment there. Wasn't it? There was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, that feels like completely without a slim pickings movie. <laughs> but it just, you know, it was kind of, it was, mm. it was like, I mean, he had well, there was what a... he called the Tesseract, but which is clearly the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. And it's, well, he, he says, I mean, yeah, he specifically says, I now have the power of thought. Well, then use the, the power, power of thought. thought. That's the whole point of the Cosmic Cube in What's the comics. the ray guns? Yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, I started saying, yes, it's an energy source, and eventually, mm. oh, I won't give that away, spoiler, but, you know, eventually shows just how powerful it is. Mm. But then why not use that? I mean, yeah. if you know that's how it's powered, then just take over the world. Well, create the universe. Not they, as they, as they he thought he was. They try to but get a, They try to get around with that by doing the experiments at the start and thing. And um, yeah, which were cool. Good, and, that, and that's fair enough. But um, seems to be no nothing, no nothing beyond that. And I thought the skull got a bit of a got shafted a little bit as well. And that he sort of seemed to be. He started off very well, and that you know he was a seemed to be an interesting villain. Um, and a presence and a, and a major presence and kudos to Hugo Weaving um, yes awesome work Hugo I can still, Australia's own I can still hear him saying he missed Miranda <laughs> oh for sure every time he pees I was great he's <laughs> but he had that when he was in Elrond in Lord of the Rings yeah um, <laughs> I know I can't help it but a great job and uh, he looked awesome there just came a point where I felt that the Red Skull was not so much of a character not even so much of a villain but more as just a guy who could show up occasionally and cackle inanely um, and then fade off into the background there came a point where he was not actually quite menacing, not as menacing 
or he lost the, the sense of menace and he's, really? for me he stopped feeling a threat the sense of danger in the film was not all that high if you think if yeah. you're going back to Raiders for a sec yeah. and you know films of films like Raiders like um, the remake of The Mummy um, the danger level and the threat level to what's going on is actually quite high and they still did you just that... mention the remake of The Mummy as in Stephen Summers yes you like that film yes I like it Wow! It's an okay film. I'm amazed! Like a popcorn film that I like, that you actually like as well. I like Raiders of the Lost Ark, and that's oh, a popcorn film. Oh wow, this film. is a conversation we'll have to have after the podcast. <laughs> um, but, they, but to get back to my point, they established the, the threat that the villain um, has right from the very outset, or what they certainly established what the stakes are right from the very outset, Yeah. and they're carried right through up until the very end. Yeah. In this, the stakes aren't really established. It's, okay, yes, it's World War II... Um, you know, the free world is threatened by Hitler and Hydra, but you know, as we said before, what's going on with the Red Skull? And then the Red the Red Skull's um, menace level um, just for me was in steep decline. All right. Anybody um, else agree or disagree? I agree. I don't know. It's, it's, you can throughout the whole movie, you could tell he was he'll be defeated at some point. Well, having said that, I mean, yes, but at the same time, Captain America is established right at the very start of the film. To be buried in ice, so we know he's not going to die. We know nothing really bad. That's is going to not what to I'm talking about. I'm like not talking about Captain America being. Fr- As a comic book fan, I go into the film knowing that anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the way that they actually tell the story of the film itself. And I don't yeah. think they did yeah, it. Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. Mm. That's actually, I'm really glad you mentioned as a comic book fan because we obviously, as Richo, myself, and Luke, mm. we all know the, the history of Captain A. Mm. Crystal, I don't know if you're aware. I mean, do you actually know the story of Captain A's origin? No, I don't. And, and it's a good point you bring up, because from a non-comic book perspective, the the costume looks stupid, and, and the red skull. <laughs> oh, well, which stupid which one? Because as you point out, there are two costumes in the film. Yeah. Well, yeah. the first costume didn't look so stupid because it was meant to be hmm. like song and dance sort of stuff. But hmm. the the actual costume that actually when he became the real Captain America. Hmm. Just kind of looks stupid in a war, World War Two setting. <laughs> Fair and, enough. And the Red Skull was a bit ridiculous as well because the, they went to great lengths to make the film seem realistic. World War Two, we're in a we're in a historical era, and you've got this weird guy with a red head popping up, and and this guy with stars really? and stripes on. I mean, they've got, laser, have to they've got laser guns. Yeah, I disagree yeah. completely with that. Like, yeah. at no point do they make the film look realistic. Mm. No. I don't mean realistic in the sense that I, every, like Luke was saying before every single thing no I mean that it's set in a historical era but so it's set, in a, it's set in an era that actually happened and you can look back in the past and see what happened but it's not but and you've the got this, era itself is I mean it's a stylized version of that of the historical era as well I mean it's so like the, a the, the Nazis could the Nazis never had like you know um, laser yeah. cannons and things like no, that. So I, I, it's I, a matter of suspension of disbelief. And I must admit, I never had a problem with it. Yeah, I, I, I can certainly suspend my disbelief so far. It's, it's just the costume just doesn't fit in with World War Two troops. It oh, yeah. just doesn't. It's just a bit too. It's not like very camouflagey. Uh, it's a bit showy. What I actually meant uh, was, uh, what I wanted was your opinion on the predictability. Like you mentioned, just mentioned earlier that. You said it was pretty obvious what's happening. Oh, the happening. whole film was completely yeah. predictable. So, as, so not knowing... Because, of course, it was mm. that was the same sort of thing for us as well. Because yeah. we knew exactly... Not just because we had the opening sequence where he's found, you know, the shield's yeah. found, but just because we know Captain America's origin so well. Yeah. So, so, as someone who doesn't know, but you still thought it was quite predictable. There you was knew. nothing, absolutely nothing in the film that surprised me at all. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. 
it's yeah. just a predictable story of weedy kid becomes a hero and saves the day, basically. Right. And having seen some of the films that come prior to it, of course, that um, that helped. I, I understood the the cube thing. What was that called? Cosmic cube. Cos yeah. I understood Tesseract. what that was. I, I understood what happened to Schmidt. Um, I understood the Stark reference. So, nice. Yeah. So, so as a, so once again, as a non-comic third person, but because you've seen all the previous Avenger tie-in type films, yeah, um, that all made sense, and it, it also, it also and it also helped towards predictability because I kind of knew where it was uh, headed. So it's kind of it sort of worked against it a bit. Yeah, I knew oh, exactly nice. where it was headed. Mm. It was okay. Just, yeah, and and the tra I think the trailer worked against it as well because you basically seen it all in the trailer. So, comic readers, agree or disagree? What with the predictability? As in, not necessarily the predictability, just more the... I mean, this is all the lead-up to the Avengers. How is that working? It, I just sat, I sat there going, this just feels like set-up for the Avengers. Uh, right. I didn't just feel like, I didn't feel like it was a film on its own, right? I felt they're just going, we need to set this... This is all just setting up how Cap gets into the Avengers. Um, so I take that And I also agree with Crystal. I do think it was a bit predictable in that, yes... I know what happened in the comics, but at no point did I think no at no point did they present me with anything that was fresh or took me or surprised me in any way. Yeah, and I agree um, with Luca. It was it was kind of boring in that way too mm. because you just sort of it was it felt like you were just sitting there waiting because you needed to absorb this information before you see the next bit. And I also thought it was a little under directed mm. to a certain extent. Yeah, but that's a Joe Johnson statement. That's a, that's a Joe Johnson statement, but still, um, you know, these things have we've had Kenneth Branagh on Thor, we've had. You know, to a lesser extent, John Favreau in the Iron Man films, and he's done a, a solid job of um, telling story, introducing the character. Mm. And John Favreau, I'm talking about here. Yeah, well, um, Kenneth Bro. And Kenneth Branagh did too, and Kenneth Branagh did a fabulous job, I thought. Mm. Um, but both managed except to. Except on Loki. Except on Loki. Um, but both did a pretty good job of um, making the film ingrained in band and look interesting at the same time. And um, at no point um, did the film. Did the, the direct, did the directing let the film down? Whereas in this one, I felt it did. I thought there was a little. There was there are occasions where the actors didn't look like they knew what they um, were doing in terms of they looked like they had to f work it out for themselves instead of a director sort of guiding them. I'm um, agreeing with everything both of you are saying, but I was entertained. I mean, I know. You I actually, know, Richard, disagree, yeah. I actually oh. disagree with a few things that I said. I actually thought he did a very good job mm -hmm. of introducing the character. In fact, the first half of the film. Um, the you know the lead up to the experiment, the boot camp training, mm. the actual experiment itself, the creation of Captain America. Mm. I actually thought that was excellent. It gave me a really good insight into Steve Rogers, who he was as a character, yep. why what what his motivations for, why he wanted to be on the battlefield, what was driving him. I thought all of that was beautifully handled. His certainly handled better than Professor X. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. Like yep, everything, totally agree. everything about Steve Rogers is is in those that opening half of the film, and it is really nicely handled. And mm. I think that's where that that's probably the best part of the film. Mm. Once he becomes Captain America, mm. all that I, all I, that all I, that forgets all that got forgotten. Yeah, mm. once, once he becomes Captain America, it's kind of then we're, we're just kind of into super in traditional action. superhero film. Yeah, and that's we're, we're interaction scenes without the actual driving character motivations to go with those things. Mm. So the and scenes become a little bit um, that's kind of, uh, I, I guess, not meaningless, mm. but they're certainly 
um, the, the character motivation of those scenes is lost a bit because he's now just running around throwing... And that's probably what I, mean, what I mean when I say the story's all over the place because, yes, um, they do do an original job of establishing and that's why I cared about him um, when he was um, slim because uh, mm. they actually captured you know the heart of the character yeah. Yeah. and then the heart of the character just got lost. And that's not Chris Evans' fault. I don't think that... I don't blame the actor there. I put that a little bit at Joe Johnston's feet because Joe Johnston should have actually had some ideas about how to carry that through. And I certainly blame the script because the script um, just went fell back into um, typical superhero mode. You heard it first, Chris. Luke doesn't blame you. Don't worry about it, mate. Hmm. <laughs> I think uh, they spend a lot of time at the start building all of this up. Hmm. And I respect that. That's That's great. But one of the big problems I had, once he becomes Captain America and he's rescued some people, they they set up this this squad basically. It's effectively the Howling Commandos. Mm. It is effectively the Howling Commandos. Effectively, it is yeah. the Howling Commandos. Yeah. Not effectively. <laughs> well, they, don't, they don't call it. That. They don't call them the Howling Commandos. But you know, every single character in that squad relates to a member of the Howling Commandos. You know, they have the French guy. They have. Dum Dum Dugan is there, you know. They, they, the, the English guy is there, you know. They, they all relate to the Howling Commandos. They don't really establish the Howling Commandos as characters. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah I'm with you. so they're just kind of there to make up the numbers. They're, they're, um, they're there for fan, for fan. Sorry, they're there for fan service. It felt like. Oh, totally. As in, I actually wanted, I, actually, I wanted more to happen with the Howling Commandos. And that, that's, there, yeah, that's the thing, though. More happens with the Howling Commandos, but it's in a montage. Yeah, and that's probably it's, my biggest problem. This is where Captain America. Um, as a character becomes lost a bit because once this team is formed we don't actually see them we don't really see scenes of them you know actually raiding a place to establish who this team are how they operate because we just go straight into a montage and it's just one montage after another of Mm. them just kind of you know attacking some bases and things like that I, I really would have liked once the team is formed for to at least see one attack on a base so that we know who these people are, why they why Captain America has assembled them, what skills yeah, they bring to the table, yeah, their yeah. skills and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, because right. yeah, well, you don't actually about? see. You, you get the sense that he likes them when he when he rescues them, but yeah. you don't yeah. actually but, but see about why that? he thinks you that they're You get a very capable. small amount. I mean, you get the French dude who's the bomb, the demolitions yeah. expert, yeah. attach a bomb. What it's like, it, anybody could have done that. But what is it about that specific grouping of characters yeah. that makes them the perfect team for what Captain America? Well, that's needs the question I was asking. Not I didn't know anything about the Howling Commandos. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that. So I think well he he just picked the first lot of people he come across. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah that's mm. a good point. And that's and and that's where once again that that's where you lose Captain America a bit because once you're into this montage, there's no character moments in it. It's just oh, I've got nothing against montages. I mean, every everybody needs a montage. Mm. But even Rocky had a montage. To establish, I don't mean even Rocky montage. Rocky Four is just a giant montage. <laughs> well, there's I must break you. There are sections of this film which is just a giant montage. <laughs> I mean, it's not sucker punch bad when it comes to <laughs> that sort of thing. But Rocky for a sucker punch, <laughs> just totally <laughs> montage. No, but like sucker punch is actually a music video clip. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, um, and unfortunately, whilst that montage was a little bit annoying because, like I said, I'd like to see the group established better. Mm. Um, there is an earlier uh, montage of scenes which is just terrible. Yeah, there's. I know a, what you guys say. There is a really great moment in the film yeah. where Professor Erskine, played by Stanley Tucci, and, job. and uh, Steve Rogers are sitting together. He is explaining to Steve Rogers 
who the Red Skull is, what their relationship mm. to one another is. And it's actually quite quite a good scene. It's quite mm. powerful. It's really quite emotive, you know. Mm. Um, it, cuts, it hits all the notes. I mean, it's, it gives you information. It's exposition. Uh, you know, it gives you information. But it's but well it handled. a good character moment yeah. and even has a bit of humour in it. And because they've established, <laughs> and because they've established the, uh, the strong relationship between the two... The fact that Erskine is there with him and kind of kind of sharing a drink mm. um, works really well. Unfortunately, they cut to these kind of montage scene shots of or superimposed shots of the Red Skull, mm. um, you know, with sort of Nazi propaganda and things like that. Becoming the Red Skull, yeah, um, and one where he's being experimented on, and they actually completely detract from the scene. Yeah. You know, Not because they're they removing you from the scene and they look terrible. <laughs> but they just pull you right out. I mean, what is that bit where he's, it's where he says, you know, he first says his name is like, Johann Schmidt or whatever, and, and then there's like 50, it's like it's like the Matrix. There's like 50 <laughs> Agent Smiths. Just all, it's like, what just happened? Did they? Not Agent Smiths, Agent Schmitz. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good work. It's just, uh, well, I just didn't get it. Like, what? What, what was the experiment? Um, one thing I do disagree with that was brought up earlier. Um, at no point when Hugo Weaving was on screen did I think of any other character than who he, than who he was playing in Captain America. Fair I enough. thought he just was the Red Skull. Yeah. And he handled it beautifully. You know, he spoke like somebody who was scarred. And you see, when you actually see the Red Skull face, you see he's missing part of his top yeah, lip. Yeah, good work. Yeah. And there are certain words and letters and things that he can't pronounce because yep. he's missing his top lip. I think his performance was excellent. I yeah. just wish they'd given him more to work with. Yeah. More especially what, what especially in the second yeah. half. Because once again, the build-up in the first half of the Red Skull mm. is fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you are right in that he does become almost marginalised mm. as a villain. He's just, as you say, he's just there to show up, you know, for the fight he's scenes. Yeah, some cool lines. Mm. And yeah, throwing some good lines. And, and, and he gets his butt kicked. But then... <laughs> so that's, that's weird. Mm. Or does he? I'm not spoiling anything. <laughs> I mean, it wins in the end, let's face it. I mean, Captain there gets, you know, <laughs> frozen in... There are, talk about in Teutonic, the there are talk about Teutonic Gods, and we already know what Teutonic Gods exist in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> it's also no spoiler to uh, point out that uh, the military guys in the camp that they go to, obviously they were asleep while on sentry duty. <laughs> like, there's a scene where the Captain A and the team are, all, are lost in action, and they just they arrive, you know, to a heroic welcome... For like this huge group of people with a giant jeep, and nobody seems to notice that they're there. It's like, what the yeah. hell? Well, the, wor- the worst part of that is that they actually have established at the start <laughs> of that scene that they've got like aerial surveillance. Aerial and surveillance. They could not spot this huge, massive almost convoy, <laughs> almost four hundred people with one tank, tank plus a truck, because <laughs> there's a couple of yeah, guys arrive yeah. on a truck as well. Nobody seems like, to notice until they're at the gate. So, you know, with, with that kind of aerial surveillance, it makes you wonder how the Allies won the war at all. Well, there's a few things in there like that. Like, when or where did he learn how to fly a plane? <laughs> yeah, I good mean, point. He did go to boot camp and do a bit of basic combat training, but you never see him learning to be a pilot. I mean, doesn't yeah. that take, like, four years or something? Those stupid yes. bomb planes. And the Air Force well, no, is, awesome. is you know, the Air Force is a completely different sort of training to the military anyway. Yeah, good point. Well, maybe they got downloaded into his brain when he got his muscles. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'm going to come through. There we go. How many magic references have we had this? So having said that, he doesn't actually, um, 
really all he does is steer planes. Yeah, he doesn't really fly. fly. Yeah. I mean, he just sort of crashes it into the back. Although yeah, he does his landing well. His landings leave a little bit. <laughs> he, he can read all the instruments and he can tell it was where it's headed. And that is true. That's a good point. That is true. Point. On a plane he's never seen before. Having said that, it's very similar in design to the submarine that they found earlier on. So maybe they just like had a look at that submarine and went, hmm, this is how it works. And Cap went, Ah, I think I can fly one of those one day, just in case. And Maybe. It wasn't Maybe, but that was never me. actually that's, put in the movie. Yeah, I know. That's almost no prize worthy, that one. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I noticed a lot of very Star Wars-y references in the, um, the, the Vader-like costumes. The, the weapons look like lightsabers. The, the troops all in a row, they looked like stormtroopers, except they were dressed in black, of course. Um during the fight scene just before they broke into Schmidt's compound well actually a bit earlier than that on the bikes even with the trip wires and then the fight scene later also oh, the, the motorcycle through the forest yeah the motorcycle through the forest that so was, was very indoor sort very indoor sort of thing and then the, the, I was going to say I didn't have the same sort of thing but now that you've mentioned it yeah, I'm now thinking it? the motorcycle through the forest yeah. especially that the was, bit where he goes in between <laughs> the two of them it's like yeah. Wow, that is very speed bikery. They had the tripwire thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was the only one that I actually picked up on because yeah. there's also they've kind of the sound effects of the bikes. Mm. Yeah, they've kind of they don't sound like 1940s bikes. They actually kind no, of no. sound like yeah. speeder bikes. And um, there's even one of the sounds that they used off of on one of the not, off one of the hydro agents falling off his bike, which is the famous yeah. scream. The, the also, Willem scream. Yeah, the, is that what it's called? Guy getting eaten by a, by a crocodile. Yeah. Um, they also use in Return of the Jedi. And that, yeah. Oh, they use it in everything. They use it in everything. But, but um, yeah. using, yeah. It, using it that particular chase, and then you know having it, hearing it in Return of the Jedi as well. Um, there was more one moment that I thought was particularly Star Wars. Not a direct reference as such. It was just um, one of the Hydra agents standing there in the full regalia, and I just thought it looked yeah, a bit very Darth Vader-ish. Vader-ish. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't help that Alan Silvestri... I love the bit where he sort of looks down at the... Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't help that Alan Silvestri does the music, and Alan Silvestri is pretty much just John Williams... Um, a John Williams clone. Well, so I can sort of see where, you, where you're coming from with the actual you know, designs of some of the characters and everything. At the same time, George Lucas <laughs> did quite clearly base much of the Empire on... Nazism no. and well, the exactly. designs of the stormtroopers don't look like that for nothing. They, yeah. I can see. I mean, so, yeah, the, 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 a lot of the designs and things he did were based on, um, you know, on certain uniforms that yep. the Nazis had, and mm. um, yep. the face masks representing gas masks. Well, that's, that's, and, I was and so thinking on, along so. those lines too, which is another reason I wasn't going to bring it up until it, the, the they just kept piling up on me, especially the forest I mean, boom. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you with some of the actual scenes, yep. but I think that the, the, the designs is more a case of. They've gone back to the source material mm. that mm. Yeah, and, and sort of extrapolated it's come full on that. Circle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but I do agree. Things like I mean, the, the the one very noticeable one for me was the actual motorcycle yeah. chase in the forest. Yeah, because it really was. Just yeah, I can't get out of my head. Through what filming there, but I actually found I actually found um, more parallels between um, the Rocketeer. Mm. Which is also a, oh, a, a good John Johnson yeah. directed yeah. film. Yeah. Um, I, there were certain moments in it where I felt like I was just watching the same story with the same uh, basic setup. Well, see, so I haven't seen that film, point. so I wouldn't have made that comparison. Yeah, yeah, no, that's under- Yeah, I can see that. Every red-blooded just... nerd has uh, seen the Rocketeer. Well, Luke, before you mentioned uh, Stark. Yep. Played by Dominic Cooper. A very good job, I thought. 
Yeah, not too bad. Not bad. Yeah, I'd say, not I'd one say. of the not one of the real standouts. Like no, that. not one of the standouts. I mean, the standouts obviously uh, Hugo Weaving for me. I don't know. I, mean, I say obviously, but for me, Hugo Weaving was uh, the the star of the show, in my opinion. Um, I also thought uh, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, army guy, was uh, quite cool. Oh, Tommy um, Lee Jones had my best, my favorite line in the movie. Which was, "I'm not going to kiss you." <laughs> <laughs> my favorite actually was when. Uh, Oh, I, won't, I, won't, I won't spoil it because it's actually a very cool scene but like an incident in the army base uh, where he just where he just says uh, oh, look at him he's just making me cry <laughs> which I thought was just hilarious um, but yeah so yeah, Tommy Lee Jones as well as also I actually thought um, that Peggy Carter yeah Hayley Atwell Hayley Atwell yeah. was quite good I mean mm. she's her previous works just all sort of like period drama type mm. stuff so Brideshead Revisited and yeah, you know, she, that sort of stuff. I haven't the, seen her in anything. The nice thing was that she actually doesn't get. She, while she is sort of a love interest, she's not mm. the thankless love interest. She's yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not capable in and character of, in the Thor where you just mm. what? <laughs> like, she's capable in her in and of her own self, and yeah. I think she does a marvelous job. I think she does, does an excellent job. She's she's not overused. I mean, mm. she's she's important in every scene she's mm. in. She moves the story along. Mm. She's a real woman. Takes, I mean, she's got the you know the sassy techno crap, and where she's also still you know quite feminine and stuff. Punches she's a guy in the face. Yeah, and she actually, and what I really really liked was the fact that she clearly likes Steve before mm. he becomes yeah. super buff. Yeah. And Chris, well done, dude. He looks really good. Um, but also, just I mean, he's she shows concern for him mm. and appreciation for his good qualities before mm. he becomes you know the yeah. the god mm. that he becomes. So, so I thought that was quite good. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's quite quite good performances all around and of course we already mentioned Stanley Tucci um, excellent job I think uh, Chris Evans actually does a good job with what he's given mm. especially in that first half where mm. he's actually required to do a lot of sort of character acting get a wide mm. range of emotions he does very well I don't think as you said earlier I don't think he can be blamed for the fact that the character is lost later on I think mm. that's more of a script thing mm. but I think he did a good job mm. um, I liked Richard Armitage very small role but well done I think and Richard Armitage played the spy. The spy. And Armazola. Um Toby Capone. Jones. Toby Jones. <laughs> Toby Jones, um, I thought was actually very good. I thought he was awesome. Um, I think he had a he had a couple of couple of little, nice little moments, yeah. nothing that really sort of leaps out at you and steals the show, mm. but but he played the role. He was, very and well. he was he was like he was wimpy, mm. but not I mean he was still willing to say his, his mind. I mean it's like we're like I mean when the red skull's raging at you, I mean the, the, the normal person would be like, Please don't kill me. Like that awesome scene where mm. he kills that guy, mm. but uh, where he actually he actually comes back with, well, I just make the things, I don't shoot them. Well, let's wrap it up with the scores. So uh, ratings out of Luke, we'll go. We'll start with Crystal. I'll give it a two. I might have given it more if it was more to my tastes. Very cool, Luke. Two. I might have given it more if it was good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> bazing! <laughs> I give it three, despite some serious flaws. I was actually entertained by the film. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I also give it three out of five. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it's I, mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say serious flaws. I mean, it wasn't trying to change the world or anything, but uh, yeah, I'll know, I'll there, was, there was some problems, but that's fine. It, it could also be I'm like a really big Captain America fan, so seeing Captain America on the screen, that, that automatically entertained That would me. help, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it, well, like, yeah, it was cool I mean, seeing I, I can't say that I was a huge Thor fan before I went to see the film. No. Yeah, true. Another, it's actually, cool another thing film. just before we sign off is uh, I really liked the use of the shield. Like, one of the things I, mm. I was worried about going into it was like, well, let's face it, in a real world scenario, what soldier in his right mind would have a friggin' shield? 
but uh, it actually was used quite well. I mean, mm. yeah, it did, he did some deflecting type stuff, but it wasn't over the top. It was mm. it wasn't like in the, in the comic where it deflects off six things and you know knocks out twenty guys. It was actually quite well done, and he used it in fights and mm. used it to get into the tanks. So I thought I, it was quite well done with that. I did think it was kind of silly to take his show shield in on the first mission because it was so conspicuous. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true, and it wasn't made out of vibranium like this one, which is mm. although yeah. a good interesting point. They don't mention adamantium. I mean, the capsule yeah. is actually a mixture of adamantium and vibranium. I'm assuming that's because of the so X-Men stuff. That doesn't mean they still can't have. I mean, I it's not copyrighted by the other studio. I mean, it belongs to the Marvel universe. So I think it was more just for simplicity's sake. Sake, you know, having actually somebody explaining most likely Stark going, "Oh, well, see, we've got adamantium, which is this." you know, indestructible metal. And then we've got vibranium, which manages to absorb all these things. And then we merged them together and made this. Yeah, you know, this would have been too... And it's unique. Yeah, it's, Why it's was it hidden underneath? Because like, it was a prototype. It was a prototype. Oh, okay, try this one, try this one. Yeah, yeah well, because yeah. it's, it's Stark. I actually thought that scene was quite well done, because it's Stark. So obviously he wants all the, the extravagant sort of stuff, like some of those, the original the shields, the first two that you see. Uh, you know, you don't actually see them in action, but they're clearly like, like guns and, you mm. know, that sort of stuff, energy, who knows what it is. But then it's like the plain, ordinary thing that would appeal to Steve Rogers being the plain, ordinary guy, whereas Stark wants all the whiz-bang. Like that awesome scene with the, with the hovercar, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. So uh, there you go. That is Nerd Culture Podcast's review of Captain America First Avenger. Uh, so coming up with the Avengers, coming up soon next uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Um, mm. <laughs> Come excited. on, people. Even, if, even I'm not I'm not saying it's going to be genius, but I'm still excited to see. There's it as a, a lot concept. to live up to because they're giving it a really big build up. They are indeed. So let's hope just doesn't I, doesn't screw it. I love the Avengers, and I just hope it's awesome. I'm pretty damn excited about it. No. I love the Avengers, and I'm hoping it's not an adaptation of the Ultimates. Okay, so that's our review of Captain America: The First Avenger. Check it out. It's pretty cool. Uh, coming up, we now have feedback. Yeah, we've got a pretty special feedback this time. Uh, in our previous episode, we reviewed Do Andrews Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick in our dust jacket. And uh, one of our listeners was felt so strongly about our review and uh, disagreed that he actually contacted me and requested uh, an interview, which I thought was very cool. And uh, luckily, he didn't live too far away, so uh, I took my handy recorder and went down and interviewed him. Uh, his name was Nick and uh, he had some very interesting things to say. So uh, let's play that now and then we'll comment on it after that. Did you agree or disagree with our review of Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep? I thought it was a very harsh assessment mm-hmm. of the, the book slash not necessarily the movie, I'm more, more focusing on the book itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that most of the people reviewed it based on today's sensibilities rather than looking at the time when the actual book came out in 67 I think it was so having read it in the early 70s as a 17 year old it had slightly different meanings from the reviews that the uh, that were given on today we all reviewed it based on the fact that we we read it after the the film Blade Runner came out, which is the ad- adaptation. But mm-hmm. you've actually read it before the film came out, 
as you, as you said. So did you actually then see it, did you then see the movie and then go back and read the book again and have a different sort of a opinion of the book itself? Well, at the time, I actually didn't realise that the movie was based on the book. So I actually saw the movie and then somewhere in the back of my mind I had inklings of I think I know this story yeah. um, and it wasn't until later on re- re-watching the movie and seeing the credits that I realised that it was in some degree based on a book because it's not a fair representation of the book mm-hmm. it's a good visual representation of the book but not necessarily a reflection of the story in the book and the impact it has on reading the story based on what was happening at the times in the 70s and late 60s as well so you think it reflects more on the times it was released in correct because you're I'm talking about a generation that's that you know, stopped and saw the landing on the moon. Yeah. Um, a generation that saw the space race start and in some degree end mm-hmm. uh, in a you know, true sense of you know, the Russians stopped projecting people into space and the Americans kept going. Mm-hmm. Um, the advent and popularity, I suppose, of science fiction, yeah. which was a fringe, very much a fringe literally literal science um, fiction has been out long before science fiction has been long but it sort of started its popularity right. happening in that late 60s 70s the, the, okay. as Star Trek started to hit the was on TVs there were there were films coming out okay. that had science fiction themes to it I not the cheesy long. not the cheesy science fiction films okay. not so serious the, the more serious 2001 stuff. type stuff 2001 yeah. the day the earth stood still you know not the not the blob or the monster from the Black Lagoon type movies. Right. So it became a little bit, I suppose, more uh, not necessarily mainstream, but that it captured an audience that had, that had grown up with the space, with so, it being so a very exciting thing. Correct. Right. Okay. So, so reading it as a seventeen-year-old, what aspects of the novel? I mean, the novels clearly affected you quite. I mean, do you so you remember mm. reading it, and it's, and it's your favorite. It is your favorite book of all time. It's one of my favorite yeah, books. So, what is it about the novel that? affected you sort of appealed to you look I think it was it was a combination of things it was the the vision of the future mm-hmm. be it not necessarily a fantastic vision but it was a vision of the future right. which was interesting so as a 17 year old thinking okay by the year 2000 which seemed a light year away yeah these are things that may be possible and I'm going to live through that mm-hmm. even though they were a story yeah um, also that interrelationship with religion um, and so mercerism, mercerism, mm-hmm. and the the parallels yeah. to to the modern day religion. And so we, so you actually you grew up religious yourself. So we we come from a religious background, so but my view of religion is always has always been it's a fantastic story that's that someone's written okay. necessarily against a, a a belief system. So you, are you going to be lucky that your parents aren't going to be hearing this? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. but it, but that's that's where, where my sensibilities about religion came from. Thinking, okay, well, there's 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 some interesting comparison. There. This book was picked up in two hundred years. They yes. could base religion on it. Okay, these are the scriptures. Okay, so so it was all that sort of mixed into intermingled. So it was a good to me a good combination a good combination at the time yeah. when I was reading it at the age that I was reading. 
So it's mainly the themes that sort of sort of got to you. So these are so this is a possibility of my future as a young man. This could happen. Correct. And this, and this relates to me. Correct. So what about the actual story itself, though? I mean, there's, so you have you have the overall themes of the story, which is yeah. man's place in the universe, religion, identity, mm-hmm. self, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But what about the actual story? I mean, you have Deckard as a character. He moves through his journey, beginning, middle, end. Yep. How does how did what did you think of that? Well, I, I didn't mind the story. Okay. I, I thought I thought the story in itself was um, well contained in, in into the characters and in, into the environment that it was put in. Uh-huh. Um, him as a as a person, I think there was good and bad. There was you know there was there was grey to his personality. Yes. It wasn't all black. It wasn't all white. There was a lot of grey in there, which I quite liked. So you think he's well characterized? I think he's well characterized. Okay. In the book that was written in in the sixties. So you keep saying that though, but I mean, there's, there's plenty there's plenty of novels that are written in the sixties that I feel have a much better stab at characterization and story and plot. So you might so you, you mentioned you mentioned previously that you made your you made your complaint against my personal review of my review was that yeah. I actually just didn't like the story. Yeah. And so. I mean, so you keep saying that it, it made sense and it works for the time that it's in, but like I said, there's, there's plenty of other stories that work far better, in my opinion, from the same time period. Yeah, I agree. I agree, but but in his style and in, yeah. in the way that he creates his world, he's yeah. it, it fantastic. Okay. You know, I basically read every book that he ever wrote after that. Right, okay. So, so this I, is, I this the first, the Dick story that he wrote? Oh, not really. He was one of the first ones that I came across that, were, that was um, different. In my perception, okay. uh, from a came from his, his point of view, that you know, it didn't surprise me to learn later on there was addicted to drugs. No, fair call. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was a good perception of the world from a slightly left of field view. Yeah, yeah. Which so yeah, a lot of people were written about the future and laser guns and rockets and all that sort of stuff. Okay. But his was more tinged with a, a shade. Yeah. That wasn't that I believe wasn't in a lot of other science fiction books of its time. Oh, I agree, it wasn't in a lot of other science fiction. And so, yeah, as, yeah. and it could be one of those stories you either liked yeah. or hated, and I think that was brought up in in, yes. in your discussions. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, I just thought it was harshly done by, but that's mm-hmm. a personal point of view. Oh, of course, and everyone's yeah. going to have their own. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what do you think of the actual film itself, Blade Runner? Look, I like the film. Yeah. Um, I don't think you could capture as most films can't capture. What you're what you're experiencing as reading the book uh-huh. and applying your own sensibilities to it. Yeah. I, I like the movie as an action movie. I, I like I, I pretty I like the way the characters were done. Um, but I don't think someone who's watched the movie then read the book would appreciate the book if they liked the movie. If that so makes two sense. separate pieces. <laughs> two separate pieces. Okay, I'm with you. So, so you actually so you clearly prefer the book over the movie itself. I like the I like the movie as an action movie. Okay. But I don't think it really represents the book. Doesn't represent not the themes in the book. Okay. It, it tries, but I don't think you can get that depth. Well, it, well it basically discards some of the themes. Or it does. I mean, mercerism's not even mentioned. Well, they're boring. It's bo- it would be boring in a movie. Okay. So, would you have any uh, any positive feedback about the, that particular discussion or anything else? Oh no, look, I think it's good. Discussion? It's a lively discussion. I mean, yeah. the discussions get boring if everyone likes the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's there's the, there's enough in there to get different points of view in there and start discussions. Okay. And not everyone's going to agree to everyone's point of view because everyone is tackling it from a slightly different angle. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Was You're there, welcome. Is there uh, anything else you want to add towards the end there? Is no, look, I'm, I'm enjoying my, my listening. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I, I prefer the new format. I think the, the, the hour, the fortnightly, yeah. hour, I think is good. fits in well. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Nick. Uh, Richard? Well, yeah, Thank as uh, Dave said, thank you very much, Nick. That was exactly what we asked for um, in our last show. We wanted to hear from people who had actually read the book um, before they'd seen Blade Runner because um, we felt that perhaps our... Uh, Opinions might be a little bit biased by being, you know, such big fans of the movie. Um, and as Nick said, it's not a, a very literal translation of the book. It's actually very different. Um, yeah, it was very interesting when he said that he didn't even realise that it was connected to the mm. book the first time he saw it. Well, there's really, there's very really, other than some names and a couple of themes and maybe one or two scenes, there's really not a lot of similarity between the two. Um, there are some elements there, definitely, but they are very different stories. So, definitely. yeah, it's not surprising, I suppose, that he didn't make that connection. And he, d he did make a good point. Um, often, you know, science fiction novels are written in response to, you know, certain cultural or social or political elements that are happening at the time. And they're very much reflective of those times. Um, so perhaps it's just that we are just reading this story you know, a little bit uh, removed from the, you know, from the society and cultural events of the time in which it was written. So, and obviously with the knowledge of the film. And I was going to agree with your question that there are actually far better books written, certainly from the 50s and 60s, mm. um, that I think still resonate today. Yeah, I have, I have um, no, no doubt that uh, Androids has some interesting theories and some cool moments, mm. but uh, I just think they were better, better okay. plotted and have more enjoyable. Have you got examples? Books. Star's My Destination. Without doubt. There you go. My favourite science fiction book of all time. Thank you very much for your time, Nick. Uh, I apologise, everybody, for the recordings. I've got a bit bumped around there, and uh, my interview skills need some work. But uh, other than that, it was uh, very cool. And next we have Coming Soon. Okay, there's uh, a couple of uh, nerd culture-related films coming out. Uh... Four days ago, we actually saw the release of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, so it's out as we speak, and uh, we'll be seeing it, at least some of us will be seeing it pretty soon, so expect a review. And reviewing it on the website, I believe. We will be reviewing it on the website. Uh, as I mentioned previously, coming up on the 11th, we have uh, finally get Greenland, so you know, uh, check it out, agree or disagree with our review, I'd very much like to hear from you. Uh, August 18 sees the release of Cowboys and Aliens, a science fiction western mashup from the director of Iron Man, John Favreau, and starring Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford. So expect a review of that one as well, because that looks pretty cool. And uh, August 18 also sees the release of Conan the Barbarian remake, starring Stargate Atlantis and Game of Thrones star Jason Momoa. Please, God, let me get that right. Momoa, because I don't want to come after me. Okay, so that's it for episode 5. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we did. Uh, coming up next in episode 6 we'll see uh, Dust Jacket Galactic Patrol by E. Doc Smith and the War Room topic will be the history and influence and characters of the pulps so don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes uh, check us out we're also on the website www.noculturepodcast.com where you can see stuff that you don't actually see on or hear on the podcast uh, that's it for me everybody I don't know about you but I do watch the podcast 
Ooh. You watch the podcast. <laughs> you watch the podcast. What are you listening to? I got synesthesia. Oh, Doesn't mean you should see the colours of the podcast itself, like in a strange sort of Doctor Who time warp kind of way. The, the moods of the podcast as expressed in flashy colours on the screen. That wouldn't be that would be very boring then, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it just all be red half the time? <laughs> Only the time? when you're speaking. Mm. Bye everybody. Bye, Bye now. Culture podcast, best when you're drunk.